The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Even if the world around me is chaotic, my energy does not need to be defined by the things around me. And being able to reclaim your power, a lot of that is actually reclaiming your power from your own reactions. Hey everyone, from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. So I recently had a live conversation with Diego Perez, whose pen name is Young Pueblo. You might have heard of him on social media or through one of his three books. And what he's doing with his work is he's sharing his personal journey of self-discovery and how he turned his struggles with anxiety, depression, and addiction into a path of self-awareness and self-healing. And he's encouraging his audience to do the same by embracing their emotions, connecting with their interior worlds, and living with more intention. Diego's new book is called Lighter, and it's a collection of poems and reflections that explore these themes like healing, growth, and transformation on both an individual and a global level. Now, I have talked to him twice before, and this third time was no exception. Diego continues to become more and more powerful and more and more real every time I get to connect with him. He is one of those people who's truly practicing what he is sharing and putting out in the world. So I cannot wait for you to know Diego a little bit better today. And first, I want to start with him sharing how the name Young Pueblo came to be. Here's Diego. Young Pueblo is um, a few years in the making. It, it sort of all really started with um, me realizing that I need, needed to focus on healing myself. Um, when I hit my rock bottom point in the summer of 2011, um, what dawned on me was that I got there because I was running away from my emotions. And I needed that to be able to close that gap between me and myself I had to uh, find tools, start developing new habits. And uh, part of that was me, you know, cultivating radical honesty with myself, um, you know, starting to go on long walks, going to the gym, like doing very sort of uh, like basic foundation building things. But then I knew I needed something deeper. So um, about a year after that rock bottom moment, I did my first uh, silent 10 day Vipassana meditation course. And that um, as I kept meditating and uh, you know doing course after course, I started realizing that the whole world is young, and you know as a society, as um, as a human collective, there are these fundamental things that we don't know um, how to do as a whole. So, on the one-on-one level, we may be compassionate towards uh, one another, we may uh, be kind towards one another, but as a human collective, we haven't yet mastered these fundamental and really critical things. Um, so Young Pueblo, the name just kind of arose in me and made me realize that uh, not only do we need personal transformation as individuals, but we also need global transformation. 
When you talk a lot in, in your books about, um, you know, you focus on this idea of starting in our, with our inner world and then moving to our outer world and the power of that. Is that the intention of your work? Is it to wake people up to understanding their inner worlds and then considering how that impacts what's going on outside of them and their relationships? Yeah, I think so. I, I really like to focus on the individual because I think the, the society that we have really gets built from the individual. Um, and what I like to try to, you know, especially with the last few chapters of my book, Lighter, I was trying to show that we can do these things simultaneously, right? Because we shouldn't be waiting for this um, perfect point where we're, you know, healed and all better and that we've, you know, moved on from the past to be able to live in the present and rec recognize the difficult aspects of the present that we need to address. So I really think that um, we can heal ourselves and simultaneously work on improving the world. But, um, but it's really critical to you know, ground yourself in some type of tool that can help you um, get serious results so that your mind is not as heavy as it was before and that you're um, not as weighed down. Yeah. yeah, well, and you and I do similar work and I often uh, find myself sharing a lot of things that are uh, self-related or inner world related while also trying to recognize that there is so much going on in the world um, that we maybe feel we can't impact directly right now. And so there are many times that I sense, and I wonder if you feel this way too, that um, we often get this real sense of empowerment and agency when we can work on our inner worlds, even as the outer world is taking longer to transform or change. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, um, I think one of the key realizations that, um, that I felt like really crystallized inside of me when I was first starting to meditate was that even if the world around me is chaotic, my energy does not need to be defined by the things around me. And being able to reclaim your power, a lot of that is actually reclaiming your power from your own reactions, sort of from the, from the conditioning that you've developed over time that it ha well, was a defensive conditioning, was a, a conditioning that you may have gained through, through being in survival mode. But when you realize that, oh, if you just keep reacting in the same ways, then you're just repeating the past over and over again. But being able to reclaim your power and take the present moment as something new and something where you can you take your time to decide how you want to be in and how you want to show up, um, I think that's really fortifying and really builds a lot of strength. And then you can take that and look out into the world and, and you know realize that you can move at your own speed and still be helpful to yourself and other people. Yeah. You know, I, um, one of my favorite teachers says that your personality is your personal reality. And a lot of people, I think, believe or aren't sure if we can change our personalities. Um, but I think when you start to transform and you see how that impacts your personal reality, you go, oh my gosh, this is actually bigger than I ever believed it would be. And then oftentimes there is this, um, I think, this inaccessibility to some of this work where it feels almost too ethereal or a little bit woo-woo, as some people might say. And so, you know, as you mentioned, triggers and conditioning and reactions. Can you talk about that and how it relates to your work so that people can begin to understand what inner work actually is? Yeah, it's interesting because I try, I try to write in a context where it's for everyone, right? Like we all have minds, right? We all, in, in our minds, we don't quite uh, recognize the fact that Every time we feel something very strongly, uh, it creates an imprint on the mind. It conditions the mind in a certain way so that your perception will immediately, when it looks out into the present, it'll connect whatever it sees to 
to something I felt in the past. And very quickly, that same reaction from the past will start building up again. And you won't fully be interacting with the present. So in a way, I think um, it's too bad that a lot of sort of, um, you know, personal transformational work gets put into this like, like woo woo um, category. Because the reality is that we all have something that we can heal from. Like, even if you haven't experienced serious trauma, you know, you've definitely experienced hurt. You've definitely experienced sorrow. You've experienced tons of anxiety. You know, you go through the sort of the giant spectrum of emotions that we all feel, you know, those leave a mark on the mind. And, the, and when we realize that the mind is actually really malleable, you know, it doesn't have to stay the way it is, then that's really empowering. And that's where you can start making big changes in your life. So you don't believe in the phrase, I just am that way, or that's just how I am, or that's just how it is. No, that's copping out. That's, that's, that's one person trying to just give up their power and not wanting responsibility for, you know, for changing their lives, for taking their own evolution into their hands. <laughs> so you mentioned this Vipassana, which I would love mm -hmm. to get into, but that feels like it's for the pros. Um, <laughs> and I know your books are, are for the beginner. So as we think about lighter um, and I would love actually to have you talk about, you know, what is the difference between your first two books and then lighter? And where do we start with this journey? Yeah, so the first two books, um, they're, it's interesting, they have, they have an arc where the first one is just about the individual. It's just about you and yourself, personal transformation. Uh, and that was my book, Inward. Um, my second book, Clarity and Connection, it starts, you know, continues with this idea of personal transformation, but it starts reflecting on the fact that once you start transforming, right? And I want to kind of reiterate that even though we have to take responsibility for ourselves, that doesn't mean that everything's our fault, right? Like our past is not necessarily our fault. Um, but even if people have hurt us in the past or, you know, we've fallen into situations that we had no control over that were really traumatizing, especially as children, ultimately as adults, like, it's, it's up to us to, to seek the help that can, that can really help us transform. Um, but what I tried to highlight in Clarity and Connection is that once you do start taking seriously your own personal evolution, you start um, seeing that there's a big difference in your relationships, right? Not just the relationship between you and yourself, but the relationship between you and your family, between you and your intimate partner, or between you and your friends. And the way that you are able to sort of shine a light on yourself, it just brightens all of your connections as well. Um, and then Lighter, Lighter is a nonfiction book that's not just poetry and prose and small pieces like I usually share online. Lighter is um, a full nonfiction book that tries to build a bridge between personal transformation and global transformation by really highlighting all the sort of thresholds that we go through as we're evolving. So you, know, you start uh, lighter talking about the story and the experience you had where you're laying on the floor, mm. you've just, just um, had a night, you've done drugs, et cetera, and it's been a tough night where you realize the next day, basically, you're in the physical state of like kind of duress and realize that you had to do something. Um, I want to go back to, you know, I think a lot of people have that kind of a moment. It may not be that thing, it may be just a moment where you lose a job or a friend. Um, it may be where something really good happens and you're like, okay, I want more of this. Let me peel away the other stuff. 
What was that moment like and what choice did you have to make that got you where you are today? Yeah, it was, um, you know, it's funny because that was like, like I mentioned, the summer of 2011, which is a long time ago now. It almost feels like a different life um, because that was a period of my life where I, I didn't want to admit how much my childhood, how much, you know, my experiences growing up as an immigrant, um, how my experiences, you know, living in serious poverty, like how all these things deeply affected my mind. And I got into a situation where in college, a lot of tension was coming up inside of me, but I, I was not ready to face it. And I was constantly trying to run away. And the way that I would run away from myself and my emotions was by sort of um, just intoxicating myself, you know, by drinking more, smoking a lot of marijuana, doing a lot of different drugs, constantly going out to parties and just trying to really busy my mind so that I wasn't, you know, with myself. Um, and when I hit that rock bottom moment, I, you know, not only started seeing all these connections where <clears throat> I saw the the difficulty that my parents went through, you know, my, my mom, she, <clears throat> she worked cleaning houses when she got to the United States and my dad worked, um, at a grocery store and, you know, we were stuck in this huge poverty trap and I was so, one, I felt so much sorrow because I felt like I was losing my life. But at the same time, I felt so much gratitude for my parents for how much they had done. And I think in that moment, I felt like I wanted a second chance at life and I wanted to try to find a way to not only fix and heal myself, but, but be of service to other people. Mm. Well, and I think, you know, your example of struggling with addiction and then having your moment isn't so crazily different from the many other types of addictions we all have, you know, whether it be food, our phones, social media, being busy, right, which we still, I uh, think we're starting to shy away from, but we still consider that sort of a status symbol that if you're busy, then you're important. Um, so we do associate something positive with that in some ways, even though we know it kind of drives us nuts. So I think you're absolutely not alone in that experience um, and that many of us are distracting ourselves from ourselves. I loved how you put that earlier. Um, how do we even, you know, I, I remember when I was first starting my own journey, I was experiencing severe anxiety and I thought that there were things that I could fix outside of myself that would make me better. So, you know, moving to New York City again, it was my second time coming back getting a different job, you know, living in a specific apartment or neighborhood. Um, and I had a realization where, oh, I changed everything outside and nothing changed inside, right? It's like that wherever you go, there you are, quote. Um, and that was the moment that I realized I had to start building a relationship with myself and having, you know, my moment of going, gosh, it's got to get better. Um, where do we begin? And they're like, how do we just Gosh, I mean, I think it's so hard to admit that to yourself and to actually do something. Like, where do you start? And it's it's scary. So how do you start? I think one of the like hardest and most effective parts of self-love that we can apply to our like daily lives is radical honesty with ourselves. And not not radical honesty with other people. I'm talking about between you and yourself, like in your own mind. And we often don't um, want to fully acknowledge that like we, we know the problem, like we, <laughs> we know what's going on. And if we were able to spend some time alone, spend some time in a quiet space that we could sort of just see ourselves a lot more clearly. And I think it all kind of really stems from there. It's, you know, that radical honesty with yourself 
it'll show you what qualities you need to cultivate to be able to, you know, live a different life. Um, because even if it's, um, right, dealing with something like you mentioned, like anxiety, there are still qualities that you need to develop aspects of your character that will help you balance out that anxiety so that it's not so overwhelming. And it's not so much like you, you hit it on the dot. It's not so much an external thing where sometimes, yeah, it makes sense that you want to change your external environment. But if you're really trying to transform your life, it has to happen internally. And the other aspect of that is just self-acceptance as well. Like you really want to be able to deeply accept yourself because if you are fighting yourself, you're not going to be able to really change. You're not going to be able to let go of the past. So in a, in a almost paradoxical way, accepting yourself deeply will actually make it even easier to recognize, okay, I love myself. I accept who I am, but there are simultaneously also things that I should start working on different qualities, you know, building my ability to be compassionate with myself and others, my ability to slow down, my ability to recognize my emotions. And so Diego, you know, when you're thinking about this idea of self-love, I think this is where some people fall off a bit. Um, and I, I believe it's actually partially because a lot of us didn't really get the, the memo. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I didn't get the memo as a kid, um, <laughs> of what that was. And it's only a, a phrase that's come up in the last, I think, you know, five, six years in popularity. Um, how do you define self-love and how do we give that to ourselves as adults? Self-love, um, I try to keep it away from the more like commercial ideas of self-love because I remember back when self that I you know the, the term self-love started becoming more and more popular, especially on social media. Um, very quickly, it got commercialized. Like people tried to understand self-love as something like you know you're buying yourself what you want or you're buying yourself the right. thing that <laughs> that um, you know you've been waiting to get from other people, and a lot of it was just about consumerism. Um, the way I think about self-love is that you are, it's a much more internal dynamic where you're doing what you need to do to heal and free yourself. Um, so that's quite expansive. Like, cause I think of self-love as an energy that, you know, that helps you make tough decisions, that helps you try new things, that helps you step out of your comfort zone so you can start uh, cultivating what you need, you know, within yourself to live a better life. So to me, like self-love is um, that motivation that helps us um, just go into the next chapter of our lives. Yeah, I agree. I'd say it involves like self-compassion, kindness, acceptance. And um, I notice it as I've been doing this work and as I think I'm sure for you too, as you start to do this work um, and continue it is you can't give what you don't have. And so a lot of people say, yes, I can. But the truth is you can only go as far with others as you've gone with yourself. Um, so I see this as like the journey, like the thing to do, um, in getting yourself to a place where you are the highest, um, possible contributor you can be in the world and whatever it is that you want to be doing. Um, talk to me about, you know, you mentioned getting quiet and getting alone. Um, I, I often, I meditate a lot. I remember when I was first starting, I sat down and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> you know? I didn't understand what was going on. I felt like I was just sitting there. I didn't even realize that my mind had its own little voice that was going. I thought that was just me. And so it was really difficult for me for a bit to get into that. And, and I also flow in and out of it. There are periods I don't do it and periods I struggle when I do do it. Tell me about, um, you know, 
the beginnings of meditation prior to like a 10-day silent retreat that someone could be thinking about and what's valuable about that? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. So like my, my personal experience is I think I only meditated once for 20 minutes um, and I, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no technique. Um, and I, I sat there and just did nothing. Um, but then a friend of mine told me about Vipassana, told me about this 10 day course. Um, and what inspired me to go was that he just like, you know, he was talking about love, compassion, and goodwill. And I had never heard him say these things before. And this was a friend of mine, uh, one of my best friends who he, you know, this was someone that I used to party with in college and someone that I used to do a lot of dumb things with. And, um, he was really, you know, really transformed in those 10 days. So I think I just gathered my courage and, and went into it. Um, so one thing I want to say is like, if people are interested, you know, they should just go like they should, they should sign up for a course. And, but other people who feel like, okay, that's too much for me, then sure there, you know, there's tons of other things out there. You know, you have to realize that we live in a super special time where there are a lot of different healing modalities. Um, and, you know, different modalities will reach different depths of the mind, but there are, you know, really, you know, serious forms of meditation like Vipassana that are, you know, aiming for, you know, the total liberation of the mind. And then there are sort of lighter forms of meditation, you know, different forms of mindfulness. There's meditation that you can learn from apps. So it's really, um, you have to find out your own sort of uh, entry point that works best for you. But... I think also I would, you know, let people know that they, they're probably a lot stronger than they think. So if they're interested in something like a silent 10-day course, they should go check it out. So did you go on this silent 10-day 10 10 course and everything was amazing, perfect, and you were forever transformed? Like, what was this like? <laughs> uh, no. You know was, where I'm going, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, totally. No, I mean, the first one was, was really difficult, like super, super difficult because I had never spent, I mean, one, it's, it's silent, you know, you're totally just with yourself. And I think doing all of that and meeting all of my own rough conditioning that was burning up, you know, coming up and burning away, um, because that's, that's really what this technique is for. It's for purifying the mind. So that means that all that old stuff that's bundled up, bundled up in your mind and your subconscious, it's going to come up to the surface. And sometimes that feels quite rough. Um, but after the first silent 10 day course, I felt like I felt lighter. Like that's why I kept going back. You know, I, I would say I felt maybe like, like 6% lighter and 6%. And it, yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like everything was perfect. Like, you know, I still had a lot of rough aspects of my character, a lot that I still needed to understand about myself, but I kept going back, you know, I kept going back cause I knew that I could feel this change that was like significant. And if I just keep going, um, I'm not only going to feel lighter, but I'm going to develop, you know, these qualities of being aware of myself, of being equanimous, having a balanced mind, of being compassionate towards myself and others. And these are qualities that I was in dire need of. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Young Pueblo. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. 
So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Young Pueblo, author of Lighter, talking about techniques on being more present and active in your daily life. You know, you don't normally see people in the middle of their transformation Um, Even you mentioning this person you were with who was leading this experience that you were like, wait, I did a whole bunch of stuff with you in college. We were silly, stupid, whatever together. And then all of a sudden you're here doing this, you're transformed. I feel like we don't often see what actually happens for people and to people during that period. And it gives the illusion that it's all good, positive, happy, and easy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I, I want you to talk about that part so that people understand Um, what the real experience of transformation is like. And then, you know, did you get to 100% lighter or are you now like 80% lighter? (laughs) Uh, It's funny. That's, it's interesting. Yeah, I just threw a random number out there because I wanted you to, you know, have a sense of the feeling of what it was like Mm -hmm. um, to like be in my own mind and be like, hey, something's different in in, in here. But um, I would say like, personally for me, like I'm not, like I'm not fully free right? Like I'm not like completely lighter. I'm not fully wise. Like there's still bundles of ignorance inside of me that I'm trying to work on and overcome. And I could, you know, can definitely increase my compassion more. And there are just a lot of like, in in a lot of ways, what you were describing, like, I feel like I'm in the middle of the journey as well. And same thing with my friend, you know, he did his, his 10 day course and has gone to a number, you know, a number of the same courses again. Um, and he's still on his way as well. But that's the thing is like, instead of thinking about the end point and the final goal, like it's really just a journey. And if you're just seeing results on that journey and you feel like you're not reacting as intensely as before, you can have more compassion for yourself and other people, you are more aware than before, then you're you're going in a good direction. Um, but I think we're all there. You know, we're all in this like middle of the road place where we are making different decisions, but sometimes we're making the same mistakes again and again. And we're becoming more aware of those mistakes and they're less frequent than before. And we're, um, you know, more open to, you know, apologizing or owning up for ourselves. I think we're all sort of there, you know? So tell me about, you know, I think when you start on this process, one of the things that can easily knock you off is the fact that Um, 
you might feel really good for a bit. I think about like going to a really good, like motivational speakers, like retreat for a weekend, right? Or really good, really powerful Vipassana experience. Mm-hmm. So you remove yourself from reality and from, you know, your day-to-day life and your chores and your responsibilities and your work. Um, and you have this experience of being lighter or getting closer to feeling free from mm-hmm. uh, the traps that we all have inside of our own mind. And then you come back and you're like, oh, wait, I do have to have responsibilities. <laughs> I do have to sweep the bathroom and take care of the dogs and do everything else. Um, how do you maintain that? Uh, and how do you think about regression in this journey? I love that question. I think you're hitting on a key point because the point of these, um, you know, this inspiration that we're gaining or these techniques that we're learning, um, it's not about escaping life. It's about deeply embracing life. So, you know, when I go away to 10 day courses, 20 day or 30 day courses or longer, um, yes, I'm alone for that time. And I'm, you know, meditating with my fellow meditators and, and, um, but the reason I go there is to be more present, be more loving, be more active in my daily life. So there's no real, like to me, I'm starting to understand that there's no real difference between, you know, being in the meditation hall or being at home. Like I'm still practicing the same qualities. I'm still trying to live the same teachings. I'm still trying to, um, you know, just just live that higher quality life that I know is possible. and. I think the big difference that happened in my personal journey was that I went to a number of retreats um, before I was able to meditate daily. And then once I was able to bring meditation into my daily life, that's when like the biggest changes came. And that's when, you know, like my creativity started springing forth, my, you know, my relationship with my wife got so much better, my relationship with my friends, with my family. And I think um, that you know, if you're trying to escape or you're thinking about it as an escape, then there's an issue there, right? It's, there needs to be some unity, some like real understanding that, you, you, you know, this isn't another thing that you're using to run away. It's actually something that's teaching you how to live, you know, how to live uh-huh. a much more beautiful householder life. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you're talking about um, really resonates with me in like integration, you know, yeah. there can be this experience that you have that's outside of yourself. You can go to these amazing weekends or to a retreat or whatever it is. But eventually the goal is to integrate, which is why I love that you said 6% lighter. I'm like, that's what we should call your book. Because <laughs> part of it is is also just understanding that, you know, there are small things that you can do every single day. It doesn't have to be meditation. I was just speaking to someone who researches happiness at Harvard and he was saying, you know, I wake up in the morning, I think of three good things that are I'm grateful for. I write down for two minutes, a really positive experience I had in the last 24 hours. So I can basically imprint it into my brain. I walk for 15 minutes briskly. You know, there's so many ways that we can connect to ourselves. And I think at the core of the inner work, that's what we're talking about, right? Is like not being separate from yourself so that you can be closer to others. Totally, you hit it right on the dot. Uh, Tell me about others. So we, we get into this inner work and then we start to see our relationships transform. We start to, you know, in my experience, I saw I saw people who I had had in my life forever start to feel like we no longer quite made sense. Um, and then other people came in and I was like, how is this possible that these people and I are so matched up in where we are? Like, talk to me about the experience of that change. 
I think um, it's funny, right? So um, I spent the last few days, um, my wife and I, we were taking care of our, of our nephew. And um, he's two years old. And we were joking because he, you know, is really gaining his voice. And he's, um, you know, loves his older sister, who's like nine, 10 years old. But um, there was one day where he was a little cranky and was so frustrated that his sister wouldn't play with him in the exact way that he wanted to play. And, you know, my wife um, and and my nephew's mother, we were all joking. We were like, when is when is he going to learn the great truth that you can't control other people? You know, like <laughs> and that that's something that no matter how much inner work that you do, no matter how much, um, you know, you, you sort of free yourself from your past there are still going to be interpersonal difficulties. And even when you're a very compassionate person, when you're developing emotional maturity, there's still the possibility that somebody may mis misunderstand you, right? So there will be interpersonal conflict, and that's just a natural part of life because we all have egos. And when egos rub up against each other, there's friction. And friction sometimes creates fire. So to be able to deal with the fact that it's not always going to be smooth sailing, I think that actually shows a great amount of maturity and a great amount of progress because, you know, we can't control each other, of course, because we don't want to dominate anyone. We want, you know, the, the real understanding of love is under is freedom. So if we really want to love someone well, we need to support them in their freedom. But then what does that mean for our, you know, relationships for our, um, especially romantic relationships? That means that instead of control, what you can have are voluntary commitments. And that's how you really create a home. You know, you really want to be able to um, have these open and honest conversations with with the people that you love, the person that you love, and figure out, like, what are you willing to commit to, you know, out of your own energy, out of your own sort of voluntary, um, you know, will. And when you're able to find that space, that middle path between the two of you of, like, what are these clear things that you can commit to? then you have something sturdy that you can lean on for a lifetime. I love that you say the expectation should be that there will be challenge, that it's not always going to be easy, but that we're both showing up, supporting each other and being free, whatever that means. Because I think like the, um, someone I was speaking to not too long ago said, you know, we all have this like dilemma where we think everyone would be so much better if they were just more like me. You know? yes. <laughs> and so, yes. so it's the ultimate learning when you're with others that like, gosh, they aren't and it wouldn't be that much better. I think that's one of the wisest realizations is when you realize that what you want from other people is for them to be like you, you know, yeah. for them to literally act and think like you to have the same political opinions, to have the same decisions, like, uh -huh. and that's just not going to happen because that's just ego trying to sort of just, you know, expand its dominance. So how do we, you know, what's, what's interesting to me is we don't, um, you know, I can't remember a, a single, I remember one class in school, I went to Catholic high school and we had a class with uh, one of the bazillion fathers that was called living and dying. And it was truly about what it was like to live and, and then to die. And it was about mm -hmm. life. Um, it was probably one of the richest experiences I've ever had from mm -hmm. a class in that structure. Um, I think unless you, you know, did go to a four-year school and majored in philosophy or something like this, we don't really get taught how to show up in the world, how to develop the muscle of self-acceptance and self-love, and then how to be in relationship with others after we cultivate the relationship with 
ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I love that you are talking about this and thinking about it. And I also love things that are actionable. So tell us more about the voluntary commitments and how we go about that. Because it can just feel awkward because it's unpracticed. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, and it feels like we're sort of building new culture, you know, because mm -hmm. there's this vast, um, you know, I think it's like millions and millions of people around the world who are meditating, who are seeing therapists, who are finding different ways of uh, developing themselves. But what does this mean? This means that it's creating an opening for more emotionally mature relationships that are getting created right now. Um, I think there are a few, like two clear things that my wife and I practice is that, you know, especially in terms of commitments, like we're very clear with each other about, you know, we let each other know, you know, what it is that we want, but then the other person figures out is that within my range? Like, can I do that? Like, is that okay with me? And do I want to do that? And we actually find that oftentimes there is that middle ground because the love for each other is there. Um, well, one thing that's a lot more sort of like clear cut to be able to even do that is building a good degree of communication. And I think the clearest thing that we practice often is just letting each other know pretty consistently, like a number of times a day, um, how we feel, maybe like at least three times a day, um, we'll just check in and it won't always be like in an organized way. It'll sometimes just be, you know, a little passively for letting each other know, like, you know, oh, I feel like my mind feels tense or, or I'm feeling really good or, you know, my, my mind is looking for problems to create and we'll let each other know when that heaviness is passing through. And that has been such a beautiful practice that I think really the rest of our relationship is built from. Um, because when we, when I know how she's feeling, then I know, okay, I can give her support in the way that she wants or give her space or whatnot. Or similarly with me, like if I'm feeling tense, then I'm aware of it and she's aware of it so that there's no secrets like that. You know, there's no guessing. And um, I think that's actually been quite helpful. So, and the, the second part too about commitments, like as relationships grow, um, like, you know, time moves forward, but both of the people don't stay the same, right? They, they continue growing, they're healing themselves, they're developing new interests. So the way that you commit to each other may change as well. So allow that. I love that. So you're just talking about what something that's so simple, but not always easy, which is just being open in communicating, well, being in touch with yourself enough to know where you are and how you're feeling, but also being open and communicating with people that you trust and love and are in active relationship with about that. Yeah, like don't hide it. So, don't, hide, don't hide that you don't feel good. Like let, let yourself and let the people you love know. So, so here's what I'm wondering. I, I want to know your opinion or your thoughts on this. Um, there's so much rhetoric, I, I think particularly in the millennial and Gen Z kind of space right now about toxic people, toxicity. Mm. And I, I personally believe that um, certainly there are people that maybe aren't uh, best suited for each other, whether it be romantic or in friendship or in work relationships, but that when we reduce this to uh, someone being toxic, that we kind of discount the fact that um, there are two people involved and that sometimes it's just like oil and water, not that everybody is a problem, right? It's like just sometimes two people don't mix. Uh, and it makes me think of that quote, you know, if a fight breaks out in every bar you go to, maybe it's you, right? Like, how, yeah. do, we, how do we start to hold <laughs> more of the 
awareness of ourselves, but also recognize that maybe there's there is going to be a point where we decide, okay, there is someone in my life who's doing more harm than good. Well, how do we hold that? <clears throat> I think these two things are simultaneously true. Like there are totally going to be times where where someone in your life is just creating so much friction and you know, you're you're not quite finding a way to work with them. So it's best for you to just part ways. Um, but then the other side of that, I mean, which you hit on the dot, it's like, if you're constantly trying to exit out of friendships or relationships, um, and just because you don't get what you want, it doesn't automatically mean that the other person is toxic. And just like throwing that label onto people or similarly, like calling someone a narcissist, like oftentimes we don't realize that, you know, that's, that's the way that we assess an individual is, are they giving me what I want? And just because they don't, you know, it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. Um, and I think we want to be really careful too, because at the same time that we do want to protect ourselves and treat ourselves well, and that means being intentional about, you know, cultivating and creating the environment around us. And that includes the people that we allow near us. We also don't want to get into a situation where we're just running away from um, every difficult situation that arises because then we never get to learn conflict resolution. Like then it's going to be impossible to really have a, you know, long lasting relationship with anyone, with a friend, with a family member, with an intimate partner, because even like your best friend or even like your brother or sister, like there's, there's going to be points of conflict. And, you know, if the bond is there and it's a nourishing bond, like, yeah, you know, try to figure out what's going on. Let's, let's be, um, like let's calmly communicate with each other to figure out some, some type of resolution. So, you know, t toxic is almost like, um, it's a word that I'm so careful with because I know it's so popular that, you know, I, I, I try to use it as little as possible because I'm not trying to feed that mentality where, oh, you're toxic, can't talk to you. It's like, well, it's much more complex. Let's think about what's actually happening. And like you said, what am I bringing into the situation that's making it difficult as well? Yeah, it's definitely an oversimplification. And it, I think sometimes it does the opposite of what we want, which is it means we're connected to less people. Um, and that's where I get challenged with the the kind of commercialized rhetoric of self-care and self-love because yeah. a lot of the messaging is get yourself away from toxic people. And I'm like, huh, if toxic people are just people who don't agree with you, then maybe we need to reassess, you know, what our, yeah. what our real goals are. Um, you know, I want to say too, in the chat, there are lots of comments, people who are loving what you're saying and talking about compassion, also being self-love, which makes me really happy because that's where we start to build the muscle of empathy, not just for ourselves, but for others and actually do something with that. Um, and so, you know, Diego, as you are, you know, you're releasing your third book, um, you're continuing to do your work. And I love that you say you're in the middle of your journey. What is it that you truly want people to know and take away from who you're being in the world and what you're sharing? Oh, interesting. Um, I think just the, the aspect that I'm, I'm growing with you, right? Like, it's not like I'm not teaching you, you know, I never really think of myself as a teacher at all. I think of myself as an explorer, as someone who, like, if I did anything, it was trying to address the sorrow that I was carrying inside of me so that I wouldn't have to be heavy anymore in my personal life. And, you know, like I never planned on being a writer. This was totally an accident. Like it just, you know, I started meditating and then 
the meditating helped sort of like unblock my mind. And then all this creativity started coming forward. And, um, and now I'm here. Like, <laughs> like so I, um, I like writing and I like, you know, creating things that people can use to reflect because I'm, I'm reflecting on them as well with you. Um, but I also, I love the flexibility of life and, um, hopefully the audience like keeps supporting me in that flexibility because even a shift from, you know, being known as a poet, um, then now being a nonfiction writer, it's interesting, but people are, you know, they're cool with it. They're allowing, supporting me in that flexibility. And I think, you know, very grateful for that. Mm. Yeah. And I believe, I mean, I know you're right alongside us as we're all learning and growing together, but you are, you know, a teacher for so many people. What you share is so supportive of them. And I think in having read your books and followed your work for a few years, what I believe you do is help us all be a little more open to mystery because we spend so mm. much time in certainty. And I think that's a lot of what keeps us from considering doing things like, you know, meditating or journaling mm -hmm. and figuring out more of who we are is we like certainty, but truly I think we are magnetized to mystery. And so it's also really powerful to see how you've shifted um, since opening to that. And with that, Diego, I want to have you complete these three statements for me. Sure. The first is better humans are. Well, better humans are kind. Mm. And better work is. A better work is slow. Ooh, I love that. Thank yeah. you. I need that. <laughs> and a better world has. Uh, a better world has structural compassion. Mm. Love that. Diego, thank you so much for being here on the speaker series. Um, I could talk to you for hours. Uh, we won't do that today. But <laughs> I can't wait for us to talk again. And just so appreciate you taking the time to be here with all of us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Leah. Honestly, every every time that we get to talk, it is like so um, it helps me see myself a lot more clearly. So I'm grateful that you're such a powerful mirror. Right back at you. <laughs> That was Young Pueblo, meditator and author of three books, his newest being Lighter. One big thing before we go, self-awareness is an essential aspect of personal growth and development. When we choose to explore our interior worlds, we can identify the patterns, beliefs, and behaviors that keep us stuck and actually make positive changes in our lives. And as we become more self-aware, we can let go of those negative emotions and self-limiting beliefs and give ourselves the space to move towards more peace, happiness, and fulfillment. I think Diego's message is a timely reminder that this journey of self-awareness and self-development is a lifelong one. All it requires is dedication and commitment. It doesn't mean you're going to always do it or you'll always be perfect or you won't mess up. It just means that you keep coming back and trying again. And I will tell you that so far, the rewards have been well worth it. If this conversation was thought-provoking and has you reflecting on ways to work on you, share it with someone who might benefit from doing the same. Maybe this conversation can help them find what they've been looking for and help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one-sentence review telling me about how this conversation enlightened you. And as always, you can find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow and Rafa Fariha. Asaf Goudron makes sure we sound good in the studio and mixed our show. 
Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of original LinkedIn audio and video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, and I'll see you next week.